Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. I'm Danny. So it feels like it's been a little while. I think it's still the last episode was about a month. I'm keeping the month schedule. So I think this episode might be coming out a couple days late, but I hope everyone is having a great start to their summer. Temperatures are really starting to heat up. My kids are just about done with school. As I'm recording this, there are only three more days of school and then start summer vacation for the kids here in Michigan. Although I've, what's interesting, I always, I found it interesting. I only, I mean, I only learned this a couple years ago is, um, I always thought that everybody got out of school in June and went back after, after Labor Day, but that's not true. My sister moved down to Alabama, um, a while ago and our my uh niece they 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 start school in august and they end in may so there's a lot of people out there if you're listening and your kids have been out of school for a, for a few weeks now hopefully hopefully summer break is going well so today is a little bit different because well it's not different i mean it's still superman and booster gold <laughs> who would be kidding here but and actually, I don't even know why I said it's a little bit different. It's actually following uh, all the trajectory of the way the show, a lot of the episodes have been this year. We're talking about two more novelizations, or two more novels. And we're gonna be t- I'm going to be talking about the Superman 3 novelization and the Superman 4 novelization for the Superman portion. But before I get to this, um, talking about those novels, I'm going to do my quick takes for this episode. Started this a couple episodes ago, I think, and so I just want to give a couple of quick thoughts on all th- the things in the Superman world and Booster Gold world that I just uh, feel like I need to get need to get some sort of a thought out. So first is Superman and Lois. It just recently came back from its hiatus. I mean, not recently. It's been what there's been three episodes back already from its hiatus. The show is still maintaining its. Um, still maintaining its its momentum i think in quality it's not quite as good as the first couple episodes i think it's as we get a little bit deeper into the comic book plots comic book style plots and we're getting there's still the family drama but we're definitely bringing in a lot of the a lot of comic book things that are happening comic book tropes and i think that um I just want to make sure that the show maintains its level of quality and its high level of drama, not melodrama. And I think melodrama is what you get on Supergirl and The Flash. Even though I quite like the I like The Flash a lot more than Supergirl. I I, I like The Flash quite a bit. I haven't caught up since uh, the Crisis crossover, so I'm what like a season and a half behind. Or or well, no, this this season's. Start. I mean, I'm, I'm like, what, like a season behind. But in general, I think the CW shows are often, I mean, in Smallville, rarely was drama. It was just, it was typically melodrama. And I want to make, I hope that Superman and Lois maintains that quality that we've come to expect from the show in just a few short episodes. But the, the, the quick take I wanted to talk about is... David Ramsey, who played uh, Diggle on um, Arrow, which I rarely, I only ever watched the 
the only time I ever watched Arrow was when it was part of the crossovers. So I don't know this character that much. But over the years, there's been a number of crossovers. So I come to know this character a little bit. But the actor, David Ramsey, is coming on. I think he's going to direct an episode. And I believe Diggle's going to be in an episode. And I bring this up only because I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode that, man, I wish this series is sort of like sticking with the I wanted to maintain drama and I wanted to have high quality and not steer into melodramas. I actually want it to stay away from the main CW Arrowverse and be its own thing. Yes, it spawned from and is a spinoff of Supergirl, but I was hoping as we had a number of episodes so far with no mention at all of the Arrowverse. And now that's starting to creep in that I'm not going to give a ton of spoilers, but I think we've got some hints at some things that have happened due to crisis. Um, and David Ramsey slash Diggle is going to, he's coming on to direct. And I believe Diggle is going to be on the show. So, we're getting some of these these connective tissue with the Arrowverse. I just want it to stay away. I want it to be its own thing, free to free from the shackles. And frankly, I want it to rise above the Arrowverse and be of a higher caliber. You know, I mean, it's not. This is. I want it to be more HBO's Watchmen than CW Supergirl. Um. Not from a not from a thematic standpoint, or from a, even a darkness standpoint. Now, the HBO Watchmen miniseries, whoo, that was good, man. Oh man, that was good. Plus, I'm biased. I love Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, and they did the music for that miniseries. Won the Emmy. It was, and I mean, that's only a small little. The music's only a small little tiny reason why that show is so kick ass, but. Just from a quality and a writing standpoint is what I mean. Because I feel like Supergirl, the writing has gotten so subpar. Oh my goodness. I keep up. I've been watching. I caught up with this season um, during the break, during the hiatus from Superman and Lois. And I watched during, to be fair, I knew I didn't want to dedicate 100% of my mental energy to it. So I had it on during work, but I watched the Supergirl um, season six, man, this show is not good anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's a Superman related show, but it is not good. And it hasn't been good for a while. And I want Superman and Lois to stay away from the Arrowverse just because I don't want, I mean, this is harsh, but I don't want the stink of the Arrowverse in my mind, or that's, that's even more harsh than I should be. I don't want the tropes and the 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 melodrama that is part of the that, that that I think is baked into the cake with the Arrowverse to be part of Superman and Lois, I wish it was a self-contained universe. But alas, it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, I wanted to bring up. Obviously, I'm super excited for the My Adventures with Superman, the HBO Max animated series that's been announced. We have no release date. We don't know when it's coming. We only got like the one um, screen capture um, of the show. And I think we'll see. I think it. the premise sounds awesome. And I'm just excited to have a Superman show, a dedicated 
Superman cartoon that's on the air because that hasn't happened since Superman the animated series. Uh, I mean, we've had what have we? We've had Super Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. Um, actually, I don't, I don't. It wasn't called Superman and the Legion of Superheroes, was it? It was just called Legion of Superheroes. But the Superman was in that, basically Superboy. But we've had that. We've had you know Justice League, Justice League Unlimited since Su- 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 Superman the animated series ended, and he, he's he's all over. We, we, we've had tons of animated Superman, and we got. Man of Steel, the or the um, Man of Tomorrow uh, movie. It was last year, right? That we got the direct, um, you know, the DC animated universe. We got uh, the Man of Tomorrow, which was decent, um, I thought. But it's exciting that they're going to have a new TV show. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I have such awesome memories of watching i have such a nostalgic like i I can i can just see it in my my mind's eye um and hear i mean well it's unfair because i i own the dvds but the ruby spears animated show from 1988 i can i have such vague memories i mean i was three um when that was airing and i just have like i can just like picture it in my mind and hear the the faux john williams i mean it's not um you know, they use the John Williams theme in there for about half of the opening. But I'm excited for a new animated show. And I have HBO Max. We got it as a, you know, we got it, as I think a lot of people did, we got it to watch Wonder Woman 1984 over the Christmas break. And then Warner Brothers announced their thing to, like, have day and date streaming movies um, during 2021. And there's been enough, there's been enough things that we've kept it. Uh, the Friends, the Friends reunion. My wife loves Friends, and and I quite like Friends too. I didn't get into it till my basically my wife got me into it. But with the Friends reunion, just what like last week or the week before. So currently we have HBO Max, and with this the announcement of the animated show, I have no. Re- I'm not going to cancel. I'm not going to cancel HBO. Oh, obviously the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Can't forget that the Snyder Cut. Um, so good. Just watched it again. Just watched the Snyder Cut again. And so I've watched it three times now. Uh, we were at my brother-in-law's this past weekend at, um, in Ludington, Michigan, with the west side of the state. Beautiful on Lake Michigan. Uh, his house isn't right on Lake Michigan, but it's only about um, a couple miles um, offshore. And so beautiful area. But he hadn't seen the um, Snyder Cut and so we watched it. So we and, and we watched it over a couple of nights. Um, but that movie is still so good. So I'm looking forward. HBO Max, you've still got my money. You're gonna keep it for a little for a while longer. Um, really looking forward to my adventures with Superman, and who knows when it's going to be released. <laughs> uh, so next, I wanted to talk about uh, quick take again. Although these aren't being as quick as I should make them, but I want to talk about the Gold Beetle for a second. So the Gold Beetle, if you haven't seen, it's sort of the the mashup of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold that's popped up a couple of times. Um, I'm bringing it up just because I believe since the last time I recorded, I've since read Flash 729 um, because I ordered that from DCBS where I get my comics. Um, but the first appearance was actually in... 
Future State Suicide Squad number two. Now I got to track down this issue because I think this character might be popping up. Um, I'm really looking forward to when Booster and or Blue Beetle interact with the Gold Beetle. It would be kind of cool if it was in the Blue and Gold comic that's coming up um, in a couple months. But this character is a really cool character. Um, the future state number two, I don't give a crap about what's going on outside of um, future state suicide squad number two. It's got this black Adam who obviously looks like is um, they're modeling after um, the rock, uh, which I'm looking forward to that, by the way, the black Adam movie with the rock. Um, I like Shaz- Shazam. He's um, and Captain Marvel. He's one of my favorite uh, characters. Uh that's only happened pro- since in the last like I don't know five years or so, but and also it's something that I can share with my wife because my wife puts up with Superman because of me and quite I mean I, that's a little bit harsh. She likes Superman, but because of me, she doesn't give two craps about Booster Gold, but she actually likes Shazam. So that's sort of a thing that we can share and we can read those comics together. Um, but Future State Suicide Squad number two was the first appearance of. The Gold Beetle, and really cool couple of panels sort of showing the descendants of Blue Beetle and uh, Booster, and then sort of like converging, and even and we have the Gold Beetle there. I love, I, I don't think it was in the Suicide Squad, or the, the Future State issue, but in The Flash, um, number 729, we get to meet Beats, I love Beats. He's like a like I haven't liked a character, a new character that I've never read this quickly as I liked the Gold Beetle. Um and she has a a blue like not a uh, not a gold version but like a blue metallic sort of looking version of a of a android robot and or android you know flying like skeets basically but it's called Beats. Uh I, I love it. Like Blue Beetle, we got Skeets, and then we got the blue. Here we got Beats. I love Beats. And then they got the uh, like. I just love the way it's flipping with the colors. Like the, we have the uh, the Gold Beetle Bug instead of obviously Blue Beetle's Beetle Bug, and so the um, Gold Beetle has a Gold Beetle Bug, and it has. Um, it's funny. It made me crack up a little bit. Uh, it has some reverse Harry Potter going on with size where it looks bigger on the outside than it actually is on the inside. But whereas, you know, the, um, Harry Potter, you, you go into tents and things, and it'll be a regular-looking tent, and you walk in, and it's a whole it's big as a house in there. So it was a sort of reverse re- reverse um, Harry Potter there. Costume's really cool. Um, I would love this character to be a supporting character in, or, like, to be part of, like... I keep saying it, let's get a Booster Gold comic back, or let's make this Blue and Gold an ongoing, I know it's an eight-issue maxi-series, but reading reading these couple of issues with the Gold Beetle, I'm like, man, it'd be awesome to have a whole Booster family here. We, you know, you have Rip, Rip Hunter and Daniel Carter and Gold Beetle, and you can have um, Blue Beetle, but let's just... Let's get a let's get a whole booster team. It'd be I mean oh Michelle you have obviously you have Michelle in there. Let's bring back Trixie for God's sakes. Like especially since I've been reading Volume One, Trixie's such an awesome character. Let's get Trixie back. Um, but I hope we see more of this character. I definitely think we will. So I'm quite a fan of the Gold Beetle. Really cool, really cool character. Um, 
I don't know where she's going to be popping up next. So I'll keep a lookout for Gold Needle. All right. Those are my quick takes 16 minutes into the show. <laughs> uh, the Superman 3 novelization. We'll dive into that. Actually, take a step back. So I've been reading a bunch of the Superman novels, as we know, on this show. I reviewed um, a couple of them already this year. And I got an itch to read uh, Miracle Monday by Elliot S. Magan because I've never read that. And so I decided to go looking for it. And I found this this lot on eBay that had, um, it was sort of called like the Christopher Reeve novels because it had all the, no- it had the four novels with Christopher Reeve on the cover. It had Last Son of Krypton by Elliot S. Magan, Miracle Monday by Elliot S. Magan. And I wanted the, um, the original printing for uh, Miracle Monday. I didn't want. I know they've since in the last few years released it, and Christopher Reeve's not on the cover. But I wanted the classic Christopher Reeve on the cover for Miracle Monday. So I was went, went and looking on eBay, and I found this lot, and it had, like I said, Last Son of Krypton, uh, Miracle Monday, and it also came with the Superman three novelization and Superman four. And I was like, well, this is perfect because I've never read them, so let's check them out. Let's 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 get them. So got that lot. It wasn't. It was. It was pretty reasonable. You can find these novelizations fairly reasonably on eBay. Uh, and I've never read a novelization of a of a Superman movie. Now, I, I mean, there wasn't novelizations for for Superman one and two. You know, thank you, Brando, for that. But and I remember. I funny story. I have read the novelization of Supergirl. By the way. Uh, when I was in, I don't know, I think it was probably first or second grade, just in like our little classroom library that we had, I mean, it couldn't have been very many, but it wasn't very many books, but for whatever reason, our teacher had the Supergirl novelization and I asked if I could have it and they said yes. And so I read it and I don't remember much of it and I'm sort of not kicking myself because it wasn't great, but I since... Like, I don't have it anymore. I don't know what happened, you know, sometime between the, you know, growing up, sometime between the ages of seven and now 36. I don't know what happened to that novel. I don't have it anymore. So I have read Superman uh, adjacent novelization um, in Supergirl. But let's dive into this to this book. So I'm so I'm looking at it right now. The Superman three novelization. And it's it's got the um, really good really good looking cover, but it's just the it's the poster. It's the Superman three poster, the illustrated with Superman flying and holding Gus Gorman, um, and it looks really good. It looks really good, and I mean the the poster for the movie, the posters for the movie look really good, and so this looks really good. And it says right on it, a novel by William Kotzwinkel, author of the novelization of the. Of E.T. the extraterrestrial, and the, the the this novel is this novelization is two hundred and twenty one pages. Now I can't recall the running time of Superman off the top of my of Superman three off the top of my head, but I think it was around that length. So we get almost like a page a minute, um, equivalent. I mean, I mean, I mean sort of. Uh, but there is, this is sort of the director's cut. There's definitely scenes in here that we see in only the TV extended cut. 
of Superman three. Um, so let's dive in. Let's dive into my notes here. So I don't know anything about this William Kotzwinkel and the novelization of the, of E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Um, I gotta say, Kotzwinkel didn't impress me. Everything of his own in this book seems to be super negative. What I mean by that is every time somebody has an internal thought, it's negative or... So, so actually, let me back up for a second. The, the plot of the book follows the plot of the movie basically uh, beat for beat. But what you can do with the book, obviously, is get inside somebody's head. You can get some internal thoughts. And whenever somebody has an internal thought in this book, or we get a little bit of backstory on somebody that we didn't know about, it was, it's always super negative. Clark is, Clark is even more bumbling, not not bumbling, but he's even more, he's, he's written to where he gets made how do I put this? That he gets made fun of a lot. He, he, I'm having a hard time articulating this, which is bad for a podcast, right? But for instance, the um, every time that any time that we get any additional backstory or something on a character from the from the movie, it's always negative. For instance, the this is a small example, but the. The, the the teacher. It's a sweet moment in the movie where the um, Clark's at his high school reunion, and we have and he's having a little conversation with one of his old high school teachers, and she says, "You know, I can't complain. I get a, I don't get around as fast as I used to, or whatever she says." But she's like, "But really, I can't complain. It's it's a nice sweet moment." But in the in the book, we learn that she's she has um, dementia. And she, all all this stuff. I mean, let me just read a couple here. Let me I I pause for a second, and I found the passage. Let me read a little bit of this. So she said, "Um, you really have grown." She said, her eyes remembering nothing. The most fragmented person he'd ever known, given to chuckling to herself, skittering around the room like a wind up penguin talking incoherently and always mislaying praise and blame. She'd been certifiably mad during his four years at Smallville, and legend had it that she'd always been openly psychotic. Yet here she was teaching high school English still. She touched her thinning hair, which it'd been rumored she dyed with shoe polish, and Kent looked around, trying to figure out, figure an escape from the old zany. So that's what I mean. It, anytime we get some backstory in this book, it's it was a sweet moment in the movie, and here in the book, it's it's not. It takes this this sweet teacher, and we learn some darkness behind it, or there's there's unpleasantness that is injected that doesn't need to be there. And that just sort of bothers me throughout the whole... It just... There's a whole negative spin to everything. Um, I should have wrote down more specifics. But... Everything that this William Kotzwinkel Kotz put in on his own... I mean, I say on his own, but maybe some of, some of it was there in the script. But I, 
I just get the sense that he put it there on his own. The oh, an, an, another thing that just popped in my mind: the the scientist at the chemical plant that um, su- su- Superman goes and talks to. He's like, "You got to get out of here," and he's like, "I can't leave the you know the chemicals turn volatile and uh, you'll have a whole." cloud of gas and, and everything well we learn that he's a mad scientist and he's doing he's in the movie in in the movie he's just working there that's just his job he's nothing nefarious about it but in the book he's sort of a mad scientist type guy and he's sort of he has these these nefarious these nefarious plans to to he we just learn he's sort of a mustache a mustache twirling bad guy all right, I flipped again. I paused for a second and flipped to the page. He's like, um, "Sir, you'd better you'd, you'd better get you, sir, you'd better get out of here fast." Superman stood in the doorway, flames licking the hall behind him. "Come on, I'll show you the safest." "I can't leave." The mad scientist paced back and forth in front of his canisters. He'd spent years here perfecting his secrets and owing to recent government legislation which would allow him to dump thousands of tons of chemical waste in a nearby river was on the verge of yet another significant breakthrough. That's concentrated number eight beltric acid. If it heats up over 180 degrees, he wiped his brow. It will turn volatile. Clouds of it will rise. So again, we learn a little, a little bit of backstory, and in the movie we get... He's just a worker. Like we don't. There's no, there's nothing wrong. There's 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 nothing evil about this guy. He just works here, and here we just and and this is just a theme throughout. I'm pick I'm picking these like small characters that we have like one scene in the movie and also one scene in the book. But it's sort of emblematic of the style of writing where it just has this negative, um, like like backbone like throughout the book, um. And when it's not sort of describing this negativity, I think it was, um, it was, it was, it was very faithful in, in the actual actions that happened. Everybody acted the same. And I say acted because we get thoughts and backstory that was, that adds, you know, this negativity that I'm mentioning and, and, um, but the story itself was very faithful to the movie that we all know. Uh, I was very surprised at how faithful it was to the opening sequence of the movie because you wouldn't think that would translate to a book very well, having this, you know... Um, I always get annoyed when people use the Rube Goldberg term. It's just like a blanket term when one thing, a chain of reaction type of things that are happening, it's always Rube Goldberg, but... That's how I'll describe the opening of Superman 3 also, and the book um, just goes into that, and it's sort of interesting. I wonder how well you would be able to follow some of this that's going on, though, the way it's bouncing back and forth uh, between what's going on. I mean, because it follows the opening very faithfully, and uh, having if you didn't watch the movie, I would be curious how well you'd be able to follow what was going on, especially... Not in general with the book. I think you'd be able to follow what's going on generally in the book, definitely. But in that opening sequence, which is like the first opening chapter of the book. um, Again, going back to the negativity for a second, his depiction of Clark and Clark's inner monologues just don't sound like Clark. They just don't feel right. 
And I'm not going to pause the podcast again, which you guys shouldn't notice that I pause that I'm stopping to check a couple things when I, um, you know, looked up the Miss Bannister and the scientist from the chemical plant. But just in general, throughout the book, there's Clark's inner monologue just is the characterization is off. I guess I'll just leave it there. And I've already mentioned there's a lot of negativity sort of backbone running through the book that isn't present in the movie. Um, so let's talk about Gus for a second. So obviously in the movie we have Richard Pryor bringing a more straight, he's, he's sort of playing the straight man around these kooky other people, you know, Ross and, um, Webster and uh, his sister and Lorelai and, in, in, in the movie, Gus is sort of the straight man, but it's still Richard Pryor, so there's like this bubbling humor underneath the way that he's speaking. And um, and that's a, that's a testament to Richard Pryor, uh, which, side note, when I was a kid, I had no idea who Richard Pryor was. We didn't, I didn't know who he was, but I knew he was in the credits. And this is how ridiculous I was that, or how dumb I was as a child, I guess, like to not read the end credits. But I knew Richard Pryor was supposed to be like a big deal. I'd heard of his name. I always, for like a long time when I was a kid, um, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I thought that um, that Ross Webster, uh, oh shoot, I'm blanking on the actor. Uh, shoot, uh, Vince, or Vaughn, uh, Robert Vaughn, right? Uh I always thought that um, Ross Webster was played by Richard Pryor. Like, how silly was that? And, you know, thinking about that now. But what's funny is it's back. Like, I grew up. I always say that I'm the generation that like has one foot in the past and one foot in the future or present. Because growing up, up until like middle school, like my childhood wasn't all that much different than my dad's childhood. Like, we didn't have. Uh, like there was, there wasn't the internet. You had still had landline phones, and I mean, in general, I mean, life was obviously different than when my parent, when when my dad was a child. But I think it was much more relatable to their childhood than I think my kids' childhood is to the way that I was raised. Like they had the internet and and everything right from the get go. Um, so I didn't have the internet, or I didn't know. I had no idea that Richard. Um, and then, of course, I don't know why I didn't pick up or read the cast from the end credits to know that Richard Pryor was Gus Gorman. I don't know why I was that oblivious. <laughs> but it's just a funny side note that for years, for a long time when I was a kid, I thought that um, that Ross Webster was played by Richard Pryor. <laughs> Um, what's funny is I don't know if this was in the script or not, but the yo-yo, like we see Richard Pryor playing with a yo-yo a few different times in the movie, uh, on the elevator, on the elevator ride up to Ross Webster's, uh, penthouse, um, and a few different times throughout the movie. But in the book, he's playing with this yo-yo all the time. And he, as he's, as he's getting more money from his schemes, he's, upgrading his yo-yo he's getting better yo-yos he he's I don't, it, it just made me it just sort of makes me laugh when i think about like the the yo-yo is a fairly big 
not big. No, that's overstating it. But it's got a much larger role than it has in the movie. That's for sure. Pardon me while I take a sip from my Coke Zero here. One thing that is really cool in the book, and I, this does feel like it was from the script, and I think I had heard it mentioned before, which I need to go and read the comic ad- adaptation. I have the Superman 3 adaptation, but I haven't read it in a while, and that would have made a great companion piece to this episode. Um, maybe I'll make next episode the um, now the comic book a- adaptations of Superman 3 and 4, because I have them both. But the junkyard fight, the junkyard fight. So in the novel, Clark's eyes actually um, go green from the kryptonite. And the suit that in the movie, it sort of just gets like dingier colors, um, less vibrant. But in the in the novel, the suit, so his eyes go green from the kryptonite poisoning, but the suit also goes to green and then eventually to black, which is pretty cool. I think it was described as being black during the junkyard fight. And so that's sort of cool. That's a cool look. I don't know how well it might have been. The black would have worked, which reminds me of um, the Snyder Cut. <laughs> But the green could have been cheesy in a movie, maybe. But in my mind's eye, it wasn't cheesy, and it was pretty cool. But I could see that the suit going green-tinted could have been cheesy on the, sc- on the screen, potentially. Um, the fight, speaking of the junkyard fight, the fight, for the majority of the fight, plays out the way it does in the movie. And then, but at the end, it gets a little bit more cerebral, and we go like sort of inside Superman and Clark's mind a little bit more, and and, like you're actually in you're in their mind for a minute for a minute, and like literally as as readers, we're sort of in this in this mental space that's um, pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, the book, on the whole, is an interesting novelty, but it doesn't come close to the movie, I think. The movie is leagues better than the book. Now, the book has the general outline of the plot, but the the the, the movie's better. But this is sort of a interesting. I mean, if you spent, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you have found it, and you're probably a, as big of a, a Superman nerd as or approaching as I am. So you've probably seen Superman 3 lots of times. Um, Oh, speaking of Superman movies, I want to give a shout out to go check out. They just did the, how did this get made podcast and just did an episode on Supergirl. By the way, they've done Superman three in the past and Superman four, and they just did Supergirl. So go, so check that out. Um, the other thing about this, getting back to the book, is that the, I, I don't, the, the Gus Gorman is obviously a black man, uh, played by Richard Pryor, but in, and in the book, it gets much more stereotypical, and we can all sort of picture what that probably means when it gets to be a little more in, in, inner city stereotypical, 
and I'll sort of leave it at that. Um, definitely more so than it is in the movie. Um, I'm not really a big fan of that. I, I mean, this is that's looking at it through the 2020, 20, 2021 lens, obviously, but I think there's some stereotypical... I wouldn't go so far as to say racist um, depi- depictions surrounding Gus Gorman's characterizations, but eh, pretty close. So that was a little bothersome also. But give it a read if you're able to check it down again. The prices, I bought it off eBay just a couple months ago, and it wasn't, I, I, I don't there wasn't a ton of copies up the up, but you could get it, and it wasn't it wasn't super it wasn't super crazy. All right, let's move on to the Superman four novelization. Now, the first thing I notice is just how f- small this thing is. You think this is a this is a um, a novelization of a, of a Superman movie. This thing, I mean, you put it next to the Superman 3 novelization. The Superman 3 novelization seems beefy compared to this thing. Um, I mean, the Superman 3 novelization is only 220 pages, but this this is this is a, a trim, slim 140 pages. Barely. Like, it, it It's like a novella, basically. It feels like it. Um, plus, let me check. I think just like most novelizations... They have pictures. Oh, the Superman 3 novelization also had pictures from the movie in the middle. Uh, let's see here. This this does as well. And yes, so there's about 10 pages of pictures. Um, um, uh, pictures from the movie, the way that a novelization will. And those count in the page count. So really, this novel is about 130 pages of content. So not I mean it really is sort of a novella. Uh, I mean the movie itself is not as I mean the movie itself is not long. The movie what is it eighty eight minutes? But this is not, this is the director's cut basically. This is base. This is the this is the unseen hundred and thirty four minute cut here that we have in this novelization. I believe I mean, we have all those scenes back in here. Uh, which I believe uh, again are in the comic book novelization or the comic book adaptation as well. Um, I have fewer comments on the, the Superman four novelization. It pretty much just follows the movie. It's we don't even really get internal monologues or internal discussions. It doesn't have the negativity like as 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 much as I complain about the, the Superman three novelization in terms of like the negativity that it brought it had a personality and it has a reason to read it potentially outside of the movie it's i wouldn't say it's different enough from the movie but it's got something superman 4 there's no reason to read it well that's not true you do get the all the scenes that are cut out that are in the longer cut which According to Jim Bowers, there's reason to hope that that'll be released because apparently Warner Archives has, or it was found when it was thought to not exist. So we shall see if that's going to ever see the light of day. But this thing, you pick it up, it looks a little cheesy. Um, It doesn't have the cover from the movie, which would have been awesome on the cover. 
It's got Superman standing on the moon, American flag there. And it's got a big, this was released in 1988. So it's got Superman, or, well, what's funny is the, uh, I thought it would, I assumed it would be 1988 because it's got a big Superman's 50th birthday logo on the, on the front cover. So the 50th birthday would obviously be 1988, but the this this has a copyright of 1987, the same year the movie came out. So, but it has a big oh, and check the show notes for I'm gonna have the pictures of the covers on here. And it's got this like sort of ugly yellow um, cover. The back cover is fine. The back cover. Um, is fine. It's got a picture of uh, uh, just a copy, uh, sort of um, zoomed in shot of what's on the cover, and but the front cover has a has a yellow a yellow um, background to it, and I just don't think this this cover looks attractive at all. I think it would have looked a lot. It would have looked pretty sweet if because I like the Superman four um, theatrical poster. And that's what the Superman three novelization did. It, like the whole front cover is that poster. This would have worked so much better, I think. Uh, I so I'm not a big fan. But I don't have much to say about this. It is kind of cool to see the sequence um, play out without the cheesy. Because you can watch the deleted scenes right now from the Blu-ray. I don't think it was released on DVD, right? I think it was only the 2012 Blu-ray version that had the Superman 4 deleted scenes. No, no, scratch that. They were in the they were in the big box tin, um, the 14 disc box set. So the we've we've had the Superman 4 deleted scenes since 2006. Sorry, I was thinking about the Return to Krypton sequence from Superman Returns. That was the new content in the 2012 Blu-ray box set. Um, so we've had these scenes. We've, we've seen these scenes since since um, since 2006, most of them. There's still, I believe, out there extended uh, Metro Club, Lacey and Clark dancing stuff that we haven't seen. But they did the horrible... I mean, it's got the horrible effects over it. Like, they didn't... It's really bad, and they had the cheesy music over the the um, the fight with Nuclear Man 1, although I don't think anything could have helped that. Like, that footage just looks bad. Like, the music makes it even worse, obviously, but the effects... Like, it's... That movie was... I'm sorry, Superman 4 was going to bomb, and I have... A very soft spot. I mean, it's Christopher Reeve's Superman. I will pop it in and watch it every. I mean, I'll watch it periodically, but I recognize a turd when I see one. And Superman Four is not good, but I still love it <laughs> from from a from a, a campy standpoint. But the one thing I will give the novel is it plays it straight. I mean, it plays it as if it would have been filmed with a two hundred million dollar budget. Uh. Or I mean that's a little that's extravagant, but I mean it plays it as having a fifty million dollar budget, and I mean what I mean is it doesn't you're not seeing the bad effects when you're reading the novel. You're and and, and your mind can make it look better than what was filmed. I think so. There is that. There is that. 
Um, incredibly short chapters, by the way. If you're, I mean, anybody who's used to reading a book, you know, you get, especially a book. I mean, this this book literally just has like every couple of pages is a new chapter. Uh, they should have combined a lot of the chapters, and because it'll just end, it'll just end in the middle of a scene almost, and it doesn't make any sense why they chose to break up the chapter to have the chapter breaks where they did. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, tearing the, so I'm going to go in. So I don't have tons of notes as, as I said, but I, I, I do have some specifics that I want to talk about. So the fight with nuclear man two, um, the great wall of China in the movie, he sort of uses his like, uh, like Ray to like, I don't know, blast the, Great Wall of China. Here in the book, it describes him as tearing it apart brick by brick, like literally by his hands, like super speed, uh, tearing it apart brick by brick. Uh, one thing that I never got from the movie, which maybe the I should have, and I just was too dense or too you know just didn't notice it, but that it makes it makes a. a the specific point that nuclear man's radiant heat is what reactivated the volcano that goes off. So in the movie, we sort of have a shot of him as he sort of spirals down into the volcano. And then next thing we know, the volcano is just going off. Um, so in the book, we get a little bit of an, um, we can get an explanation of that, that his, his radiant heat reactivated the volcano. And another, so another note during the fight is that in the movie, in, so when Superman um, needs to plug up the, or he needs to stop the volcano, um, and in the movie, he chooses to use his heat vision to sort of shear off uh, top of a mountain and drop it um, upside down to as a sort of a cork for the volcano. In the book, which makes me wonder if it's how it was in the script. He uses his body as a buzz saw, basically, um, how it's described. He uses his body as a saw to saw through the mountain. I think it's cooler to use the heat vision. I actually will give the movie, the movie version, props for that. That and maybe it was just done for budgetary reasons. Like you could just have, um, you could just have the the red the the red beam for the heat vision versus needing to have some sort of an animation or some sort of a, whatever sort of effects they would have d I mean I don't mean animated like the uh, like uh, but some sort of a uh, so something to some sort of visual effect uh, depicting Superman's body saw basically sawing through a mountaintop. Another different, another thing I want to note. These are, it's funny. All my notes are from the fight, basically. Nuclear Man hid in the Statue of Liberty in the book, uh, and he doesn't. He at no point in the movie does he hide in the Statue of Liberty. Although I, I think he does sort of pop out from behind it. No, I'm picturing it. I'm trying to picture that part part of the movie. But in the book, he sort of hides, and Superman doesn't know he's in the Statue of Liberty. And what's crazy to me is that in the movie when at the end of the fight so Su superman's lost and nuclear man kicks him and we see superman go flying away and then you see a shot of his cape sort of falling down and then lacy 
Warfield gets the cape and the whole thing, and Lois says, you don't deserve this. Well, in the book, when he kicks him, I, he still kicks him, I believe, but his whole suit comes off. It's described as his whole suit. So I'm like, Superman flying? It's just a funny visual that um, Superman is just gets kicked, and, he, and then he's naked after that. Like His whole suit comes off. Because the scenes play out basically the same. Lacey and uh, the Warfield, they, they get the... The, the suit and Lois, you know, says he don't deserve it. She takes it over to the Clark's apartment, yada, yada, yada. And, but in the movie, it's just the cape. And in the novelization, it's the whole, it's the whole, um, it's the whole suit. So it's just f- funny to me. Like the uh, Superman just loses his whole suit. He gets, he gets kicked. Like it makes sense to me that a cape might fall off. I don't know. You know, capes, capes aren't, capes are sort of a separate piece of the, of the uniform, right? But to, but to lose your whole clothes, it's like you're you're kicked you're kicked out of your clothes. <laughs> like it, it, it's sort of a funny visual to me. Um, well, what we do, what's interesting, what we don't get in this book is a flight with Lois. In the movie, obviously, we get the flight with Lois, and he makes her he gives her the super kiss again. Um, but in the book, no no super flight. So I'll have to. I, I definitely need to do a reread of the comic book ed, comic book adaptation because I'm curious if that's in there, uh, and if it's not, I'm wondering if they you know that was a last minute thing. Well, it, it could, I mean, there's I say a lot of effects, but it's not they're not great. But there's there had to have been a lot of planning that went into that for the movie at least, and so I wouldn't say it was a last minute addition. But if the book and the comic both leave it out, then it makes me feel like they were based on an earlier version, an earlier draft of the script, maybe. Uh, so I think my last note here is that the energy module is Jor-El instead of uh, Lara. In the movie, it's Su- Susanna York comes back and does voiceover, which is good continuity, because obviously we're not going to get Brando back to do to do this, and so but we get Su- Susanna York... Uh, but in the novel, they don't have to worry about budgeting, and so we get uh, Jor El doing doing the any of the the voice that's coming from the energy module. So that's about that's about all I have for the Superman four novelization. This one is not as controversial to me personally. I mean. This we're, we're we're talking thirty year old novelizations of movies that the general public doesn't consider to be great. So we're not talking about something controversial here. But for me, as a Superman fan, I think Superman Superman three is is Superman four is much more vanilla in the sense that like it just follows the movie. Basically, you do have the director's cut, but you don't really get it's. There's not a ton of re- reason to to read this. I, I, as I said, you do get the additional scenes that you can let play out in your mind. So everything flows and works, works as it should without cheesy effects and things. Um, trying to watch the, trying to watch the special features. Um, but I think even though I think the Superman three novelization is more negative, for no reason at all um just sort of the the backbone the 
everybody's a little bit seedier. Everybody's a little bit um, like it's just it's just a little grimier, I guess. Like uh, nobody's as good um, in Superman three, but it's got a little bit more of a personality than Superman four. The Superman four novelization is you know just give me the facts, bam. It's just the movie plot and no ifs, ands, or buts, nothing additional. You're not going to get some insight. Clark's not, you know, giving an inner monologue throughout this. So I would say track it down if you can through eBay. But if I was to only track down one, it would be Superman, the Superman 3 for all its faults. And it's more the more interesting read, that's for sure. Although Superman 4 is a brisk a brisk read. Like, as I said, it's 140 pages, but 10, 10 of those pages are pictures. So it's hundred and thirty. Let's see. Does it even start on? Does it even start on page one? Because you know, you know, most novels don't start on page one. Um, it does. It does start on page one. All right. Well, that's all I have for the novelizations. Two books, two novels in this in this episode. Um, what Superman novels will I have for later in the year? Time will only tell. Although I give, I've given a couple of them away already. I'll definitely be talking about last Elliot S. Magan, a couple of Elliot S. Magan books. But do I have any other super, su- Superman novels? I don't know. George Lothar, maybe. Hmm. All right, let's move on to the super or to the Booster Gold portion of the show. So today we're talking about Harley Quinn. Yep, you heard that right. We are talking about Harley Quinn. I'm talking about Harley Quinn Volume Three. Apparently, I didn't even realize it was Volume Three. Over, uh, I don't know when Harley Quinn had Volumes One and Two. I don't follow that character. But we're talking about Harley Quinn Volume Three, Number Sixty Seven. It's part of Year of the Villain. And quick synopsis here. Harley Quinn goes home as she wants to organize her family Thanksgiving. This is the first Thanksgiving since her mom died. And she tries to get her father and her three brothers to meet her at a local diner for Thanksgiving dinner. And throughout, there are um, a comic within a comic. Uh, There's um, some comic book interludes. And those are the portions that feature Booster Gold. So, why did I pick this comic? Well, first, I had it, and I had ordered, um, I got it off eBay, because I read it a while ago, and I said, I gotta have this, because it's Dan Jurgens doing um, a not insignificant portion of Booster Gold art, although, let's see, I can do a quick count here. We got one, two, three, four... riveting podcast i know as i count this up five six seven eight nine 
10. So you got 10 pages of this comic that are the comic within a comic. Um, so not a ton, but I thought I got to get this book. So I tracked, I bought it off of, um, off of eBay and because I didn't want, obviously this is, I'm sure this is reprinted in a Harley Quinn trade, but I don't want, I don't care about the Harley Quinn trade, but it's, it's a cool, it's a, I mean, we, we got Dan Jurgens drawing booster. I mean, anytime that happens, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so the premise is that it's a comic within a comic. So as Harley Quinn is going around and she's trying to talk to her and she talks to her father and her three brothers. And basically it's, it's sort of, um, sort of a, it's, um, the main portion with, with Harley Quinn is a touching story about a family dealing with loss and how different people grieve. And I have no love necessarily for the Harley Quinn character. I don't really care about Harley Quinn, and she's gotten super popular. But this story, I at least cared about her and her family in this story. Her mom has died in the past. Uh, I think it was from cancer. Um, and she goes and visits her father first. And she wants them to go and she wants the family to meet up for Thanksgiving and she doesn't want to let the family fall apart after her mom has died. And that's sort of the, the crux of the issue and it works. It's a, it's a, I gotta give the props to this story. It's a decent story. And then we get the comic within a comic that is in Harley's uh, backpack and various characters read throughout this issue and that's where we get the Booster Gold content, and Harley and Booster are traveling through time, and the basically the premise is that Harley Quinn is tired of crossovers and event comics, and so she wants to stop them. So she's trying to get back to the original Crisis on Infinite Earth and stop it, and she doesn't want to, and she doesn't want crossovers, and. Booster's there and tells her it's a bad idea, and he time travels with her, um, going through the time stream. And so they they first go to Final Crisis, and they show up at Martian Man. Spoilers for Final Crisis, by the way. The what two thousand eight, uh, two thousand eight Grant Morrison event, and they show up, and it's the um, Martian Manhunter's funeral. And it's sort of some some hilarious, some funniness goes on there, and we get a scene of New Fifty Two or not New Fifty Two. We we get a scene of Volume Two Booster meeting meeting um, Volume One Booster basically because I when when the um, comic within a comic starts and Booster and Harley are traveling through time, Booster's in his in his volume one costume, collar, collar and all. No, no cape, no capes, uh, no cape there, but he's in his um, volume one costume. And then he meets up with uh, volume two there is there. And it's funny because they have uh, code, they have a code word to sort of make sure everything's on the up and up and that they are, um, truly booster and not some imposter or something and so uh 
Yep, their code word is one of them says rice, and then the other one says crispies. So we get rice crispies, and that's how they know that they're not imposters. So that was that was pretty funny. I should actually step back for a second and talk about the cover for this because it's a really cool cover. They were doing the year of the villain sort of event that was going on then. Oh, I should mention this comic has a cover date of January 2020, which means it came out what October 2019 or so. Um and it has the sort of acetate clear cover on it and you it has like two covers basically and the cover has sort of a robotic Harley Quinn falling from the sky, falling from the sky, and then you flip it open, and there uh, to the regular cover, and on the front, it's uh, you know being the, the Ninja Turtles fan, it's the robotic Harley Quinn saying "Cowabunga," and then you flip it over, and it's just a regular Harley, and she's falling from the sky, and she says, "Oh crap!" But it's it's a cool cover. You know, it's one of those gimmicky, gimmicky covers, but I think it's pretty, it's, it's cool. No booster gold on the cover. So it gets a, it gets a negative on that. And I'm sure that it did not even have booster gold in, in the description. Now I didn't go up and I didn't go and look up the, the, the solicitation text for this issue. But as I said, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode because all of you out there, I'm sure I'm memorizing everything I say. No, I'm joking. But I had mentioned it in a previous episode where in when the previews come out, which thank you, DC, for not putting out printed anymore. An, an annoying. Um, but one thing about electronic that is nice is that you can do, you know, control F and do a keyword search. And so I always do a keyword search on booster go on booster and see, you know, what issues, if any, in a given month solicitations is booster appearing in and I'll check out, you know, typically I'll do booster and I'll do gold, which gold is helping out now because now there's the gold bleedle. And so you wouldn't necessarily, and I want to follow the gold beetles appearances. And I typically wouldn't, um, you know, catch those if I'm just looking solely for booster, but this, ep this issue wasn't on my radar. I don't remember how I like realized that booster was in this issue. Uh, maybe it might, it might've been from the boosterific website, uh, seeing that and then obviously booster becomes a semi-regular pop-up su supporting cameo-ish character in the harley quinn series but it was the i should cover this in a episode but the doc martin wearing sort of um the the, the doc martin wearing uh booster gold uh looking uh, version that's only in the Harley Quinn issues. This is regular Booster Gold uh, in this comic within a comic, but it was on my radar, and because I and so I didn't get it because I'm sure the solicitations didn't mention it. Now um, this is issue 67. I think in a few issues he was solicited and part of the series. I, um, I think like 71 or 72, somewhere around there. And he got name-checked in the solicitation, so I knew to check those issues out and get them. This one, he's in 10 pages, not insignificant, but didn't get a mention in the solicitations, um, which I'm making all these bold claims about the solicitations and how I couldn't have possibly missed it, and so therefore Booster wasn't in the solicitations, so I, I, I reserve the right to just be wrong. <laughs> um, 
if it was in the solicitations and I missed and I just missed it. But I don't think so because I'm typically, you know, Booster's not in a ton of stuff. He's not like Batman, which my gosh, I was looking like I was just going through the previews a couple nights ago, making the or getting the order ready for what I want for this month or this month is our stuff that comes out in August. So Superman 78 finally get to order that. Although I mentioned I want to hold out for the hardcover, but I think I want to, I'm going to support the single issue floppies as well for Superman 78. But holy crap, I think half the solicitations are Batman related. Like, how can Batman support? How, I mean, I shouldn't say how. He's super popular, but man, oh man, half of the solicitations, I'm not even joking. I think. It's got to be close to half are either Batman or Batman family related. I'm like, holy cow. It's only getting more. I feel like as DC sort of pairs down and doesn't put out as much each month, they're at the same time simultaneously upping the amount of Batman content that they put out. So it just feels like there's extra Batman, which I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not somebody who's like, un, who cares that Superman doesn't get as much of a spotlight. Um, but I was just noted, you know, just like holy, there's so many Batman things going on. Um, back to this issue, though. The, of course, we get Dan Jurgens art. I do have to call out the. I need to look up in the. Um, let me look at the credits here to see who did the artist. Sa- Sammy Basar Basri. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, but Sammy Basri. I'm not familiar with them, but I think that must be who's doing the regular um the regular portions of the issue not the comic within a comic those are pretty good too so i gotta give a shout out to that but oh and we get um you know norm norm ratmond is credited also so we get the the awesome right um um artist team of dan jurgens and norm ratmond so you can't go you can't go wrong with that um so getting back to this getting getting back to booster gold we have they go back to the final crisis, realize they didn't go back far enough, and they go back even further, to, um, and then they end up at Infinite Crisis. Although actually, just before Infinite Crisis, they're still in uh, Earth Two Superman, Superboy Prime, and Lois Lane are still in limbo, and they show up there, and then finally they go back to Infinite Crisis or to um, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Which Booster Gold was not part of Crisis on Infinite Earths. He was one of, I think he's credited as being one of the first, if not the first character, new DC character coming out of Crisis or not coming out of. That makes it sound like it was had something to do with the with the event. Booster had nothing to do with Crisis on Infinite Earths, but his title came out. Um, it might have been coming out concurrently because his issue number volume one started in 86. And I know that I believe that, um, Chris on infinite earths was wrapping up around that time. So that might've been concurrent, but, um, it's not like there's an internet or anything where I could look up when these comics were actually, uh, released. Right. I, 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 I couldn't do that. So there's, it's impossible to know. Um, but it's kind of cool we get Booster in Crisis on on Infinite Earths Um, so kind of kind of cool there Um, 
I think this is the first appearance of Booster Gold, as I mentioned in Harley Quinn's book. But then we started, but then we got the Doc Martens wearing version after this. Um, I love that it's so meta, that this issue is very meta. First of all, there's a comic within a comic. And then within that comic, in the comic within a comic, Harley, like they're talking about crossovers and event fatigue, which I think readers get also. And how many, you know, this span, this crossover had a million, a, a million tie-ins and, and it's sort of interesting, you know, it's playing the surrogate to the audience and recognizing event fatigue um, although I will say I have not had event fatigue in a long time with DC Comics because, not to say that DC hasn't been having events, but I just, they haven't interested me at all. So Event Leviathan, didn't care about that at all. Everything, I think, for people who, I know the comic book audience is du- is dwindling, but for those who still read DC Comics, I think if it says Death Metal on the cover, it sparks interest but for me it makes that interest go away i never had an interest in anything death metal so i mean that's been a big part of the crossovers for the last couple of years is just death metal related and so i have stayed away from everything death metal it has not interested me so i haven't had an event fatigue in a while actually but we all we've we've all had that in the past and i just think it's cool how it um how it just talks about it and it, it and it's meta it's meta that way um one of the things that i want to mention related to booster gold is that i've just totally given up caring about where booster gold fits into continuity and i think dc comics has also given up on that because in this comic within a comic here we have volume one-ish time frame booster gold interacting with harley quinn and then just a few issues later in the real in the real world quote unquote of the harley quinn comic we get the doc martens wearing booster gold and then we have what's been going on like is the appearances in batman beyond and the generations forged and none of this stuff seems to line up at all with any sort of a continuity. I don't know what is going on with Booster. He has ever since base, ever since um, Volume Two ended, and then we get we get Justice League International with New Fifty Two. Since then, we really we can't really follow like the continuity. Like Booster Gold is just sort of a character, and because he bounces around time, I think DC's really embraced it, and I'm I'm fine with it. It's sort of like if you were going to write a synopsis of, or yeah, like for instance, let's say you were to write an obituary of of Michael Carter's life, you would have a pretty hard time because I don't know like where anything fits into continuity. I don't really care. I've I've said that like you know I like I don't mind. I'm not a continuity hater, but I also don't mind when things are outside of it. But it is interesting with especially I, I, when you just think about Booster, it's just more apparent because he doesn't have an ongoing. Because Superman, you could argue that when there's different iterations, at least like the primary, um, the, the the primary Superman has is like what's been going on, like what's gone on in his comics. 
and you could have you know deceased or whatever is a alternate version of of Superman. But you could point to what's going on in continuity and say, well, here was here's the continuity of this character in official canon. But because Booster doesn't have his own title to like establish an official canon, and he just is, and he pops up all over the place, and he just different. It doesn't matter like what's going on with his time frame or anything. Um, it's just it's it's hard to follow. I'm, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It it used to sort of bug me, but even I mean, not it never bugged me that much. But it would it was a little bit irritating. But now I just know okay, if Booster's going to be in this issue. Where where did he pop up from? Where's he been since the last time we saw him? It doesn't matter. DC Comics doesn't care, so I shouldn't care. Um, you know, oh, what, another version. I would love to see it followed up on is the Wave Rider booster. Um, uh, what's the bo- boost rider wave wave booster? I don't know. Um, that we got you know coming out of um, shoot, I'm blanking on it, and I even did oh. Convergence. I was gonna say I even did an, an episode of this show um, covering and Booster had his own crossover, the Convergence crossover or the Convergence issues of Booster. Uh, you know the two issue uh, Booster Gold Convergence. Um, but I w- it would have been kind of cool to see what's going on with that way with the Wave Rider version of Booster. But I think that's all I have for today, folks. I think. I thought this was going to be sort of a shorterish episode, but it's not. It's a it's a it's a full meaty episode here. We no no half hour TV show here. We got a, you're you're getting a full you're getting a full episode. So I don't know what the next episode is. Oh, write in, write an email, um, letting me know. Does it matter to you, um, dear listeners, if you know what the what the topic is going to be? Or do you just listen or not listen based on if on what the episode is? Uh, just out of curiosity, because I know I don't release, I don't put up like what I'm going to be talking about, because frankly, sometimes even I don't know what my next episode is going to encompass or what the topic's going to be. But if you would, if it matters to you, write in. I don't know if I'll change anything, <laughs> but I am curious. Uh, if, for instance, for myself, I don't necessarily for the podcast that I, I listen to. I don't necessarily um, need to know ahead of time, like if, if for the various comic book podcasts I listen, I listen to or whatnot, like what they're covering. But I also won't listen to an episode until I've read whatever they're reading. I don't um, want to listen to a discussion necessarily until I've read the issues. Uh, or and, and familiar now, a lot of the stuff I talk about for Superman is has been general enough for the most part that I think most Superman fans have experienced it, um, like movies and, and things. But sometimes I get into the weeds, and I mean, here is the novelizations. Would you want to like? Would a listener want to listen to this talk before reading the novel, or would they want to listen and then see if they agree with my what what I listen what I'm saying? I don't know. So write in, write in and let me know. Like, do you, would you prefer to know ahead of time what I'm covering? Does it matter? Do you, and then also if you haven't, like, for instance, when I've covered, um, various things that are newer, like D, um, or, or anything like, do you not listen to an episode 
are are you are you like me where you won't listen to an episode until you've read the material yourself unless like usually if it's a comic i will read the comic but like sometimes like like for instance if i was a listener of my own show here like if i was listening to this show and i saw it pop up and i'm like oh yes blue and gold uh my favorite podcast of all time it's better than rogan it's better than you know it's it's better than everybody um freakonomics get out of here this american life no no it's blue and gold the, the best podcast ever right um Oh, there he's he's talking about the Superman three and four novelizations. No, normally I wouldn't, I I probably wouldn't be like, man, I can't listen to that episode until I listen to the novelizations. Although novelizations are a little bit different because I would be very familiar if I was a listener out there, as I'm sure some of you are, where you haven't read the novelizations, but you're super familiar with the movies. You know, you probably feel comfortable listening because you know what I'm talking about. Um, you you're familiar with the movies. Um, so I'm just curious how you handle the podcast. Do you just listen no matter what I talk about? Does it matter? Uh, let me know. Let me know. I'm curious. All right, everyone. Take care. I will talk to you when I talk to you. (laughs)